Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. As we go to your word to hear the story that you've wanted to tell us about who we are and our identity as your people and as your creation made in your image. May we hear and respond to your word and may it shape and change our lives in a way that shapes us more into the image of your son as we continue to follow him and live the way of Jesus. We ask this all in your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. As humans, we're drawn to certain things. And I can't even put a finger on exactly what this means. But I know it when I feel it, and I think some of you know what I mean too. Like, you might hear a good song, and there's something about that song that just brings you into a place that you weren't before. Or maybe it's a song that you associate with a time in your life, good or bad, and when you hear that song, you automatically are reminded of things about that time. You know, music does this, but not just music. There's a book that I sometimes read the kids before bed. It's a book that we've had since Annette was a baby. And it was a book we read Annette a lot when she was uh, real little, like the age of Castiel now, or a little bit older. And every time I read this book now, the same feelings I had then come back. And those were feelings of uncertainty, because during that time in Megan and I's life, uh, we were waiting to hear back, and I was in the process uh, of candidate as a pastor at a church in Huntington, which I've talked about uh, before, and that was a really long, drawn-out process, and it was stressful, and we had a lot of waiting, and I, every time I read that book, I associate my feelings with that time period. I don't even know why, but it's like automatically things I haven't thought about in three or four years come back when I read that book. And the reason that we're this way as humans is because it's about what we feel in our emotion. And we feel deeply, and I believe that God designed us this way, partly because this is how he can connect with us. But the thing about our emotions is that they can deceive us, and they're also a way that we can be drawn away from God. And in Revelation, we've been building towards this point where we've been talking about the dragon and his beasts, and how the dragon tries to gain our allegiance through counterfeit presentations of what is good and true, about what the way of God is. You know, we just read the Ten Commandments today. That is a clear presentation of what God desires for our life. And when we're in those places, when we're living the Ten Commandments, we feel a certain way. But the dragon or Satan wants to pull us away and say, no, let me offer you a counterfeit life that looks different than the Ten Commandments, but that offers you just as much joy in life. But what we find out is that that actually isn't the case. But our emotions and what we feel and what we perceive to be good can pull us away from God just as much as it can point us to God. And at the center of all of this is this concept from Revelation, Babylon, which we're going to talk about today. And it's about human rebellion. It's about humans rejecting God's created order. And it's about God restoring the order he intended for life. 
So if you want to look at this with me, turning to chapter 17 of Revelation, or if you want to follow along on the screen, we're going to take a look at this character that I've mentioned several times, Babylon, but that hasn't come into the scene until really last week and then now today. So again, Revelation chapter 17, if you want to follow along or if you brought your Bible or if you want to watch on the screen, we're going to take a look at this together. So while we're taking a look, a reminder that we left off on chapter 16. I did not look at chapter 16 last week, but we talked about it. And we talked about the seven bull judgments. Bulls that were poured on the earth of judgment. And these final judgments were the culmination of the ongoing judgment against the world that God has been bringing since the beginning of time. We talked about two other sets of seven before that. But all of this was building to the day of the Lord when God is going to say, okay, I'm finally restoring life to the way it was supposed to be. And to do that, I have to remove all things that reject my order, that reject things like the Ten Commandments, so that I can bring order back. So we've heard these seven bowls, and now this happens. 17.1. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, so that's one of those angels that brings the bulls from the previous chapter. That's what we need to have the context for. The bulls of judgment. He says, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. And the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. So now we're, what we're having is a transition in the story John now is asked if he wants to go see some, a different vision. And what this is, is now a closer look at the rebellion led by the dragon and the beasts that gets judged in chapter 7. Or in the seven judgments in chapter 16 and 15. And now we're taking a closer look at what is going on. And John says that what we're going to look at is this prostitute who sits on many waters... And draws the kings of the earth away from the way of God to commit adultery with the way of God by living a different life. And they become intoxicated with this way of life. Now we're going to take a look at what this means. But we need to see how John continues. Verse 3, he says, Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And there I saw the woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names. And had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. So we have this trait of apocalyptic literature. So now there's a shift in the vision. John tells us that because he's taken away by an angel. This is all just common apocalyptic literature language. It's in other books that we talked about in Confirmation today, in the Second Temple Testament books, things from the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha, if you've ever heard of those. These books are out there, and Revelation is drawing from that tradition. And what it's talking about is it's drawing from these images of now there's a new uh, vision for John to see. In this vision, it's in the wilderness. And what he sees is a woman sitting on a beast. 
Now this woman is in the wilderness with this beast. Now this beast is from chapter 13. And the woman sits there and we're told that the woman is dressed in purple and scarlet. She has gold and stones. She has a gold cup. She's very wealthy. But she's drunk with her way of life. And what is it that it's her way of life? It's riding the beast and doing the things that the beast has asked her to do. It's living a life of evil. But this is what John says, because it's, who is the prostitute? This is what he tells us in verse 5. He says, the, na- uh, the name was written on her forehead, or the name, what, the name written on her forehead was a mystery. But this is what it says. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. So now we meet the character Babylon the Great. Now I've mentioned Babylon before in the last couple weeks. Babylon was a historical nation. There's actually two different Babylonian empires. There's the original, then there's the Neo-Babylonian Empire from the time of uh, the later prophets that Israel dealt with in the book of Daniel. But before that, there was a Babylonian Empire way long before that. Now, Babylon was a real empire. But in the Bible, remember, Babylon becomes the image of human rebellion. In chapter 11 of Genesis, humans come together to build a tower to be their own gods. And they say, look how great we are. Let us build a tower into the heavens to be like God. And then God comes down to see these little old humans, and he sees that they're no good for themselves. So he scatters them. Now we hear that as a story of Babel, because it fits well with the languages in Babel, not being able to understand one another. But the word in Hebrew is Babylon. The nation of Babylon becomes this image of human rebellion against God. And now Revelation picks up on that image and it says, Babylon is the mother of all prostitutes. And when he talks about prostitutes, he means people who rebel against God. The Bible describes Israel as prostitutes when they reject the way of God and decide to live a different life. Now we meet Babylon. Babylon is the ultimate symbol of human rebellion, of humans coming together to form systems and a way of life that rejects God. And Babylon wants to devour God's people and overthrow God's will. So, with Babylon, what we need to understand is this is a human, this is a symbol. It's a symbol of human rebellion. So we rebel as individuals. Now, this is what we've always heard. We're all individual sinners, and we need to repent of our sin and return to God. And that is true. But as a whole, we as sinners form systems and governments and associations, and we create ideas that lead us to rebellion and keep us entrenched in our rebellion. And the way the Bible talks about that is Babylon. It's these empires that come with power and hate and violence 
to overthrow people and control them and to seek their own will for the world. And this is what Babylon is. So a question we need to ask ourselves is, well, where do we see Babylons today? And that's always a difficult question to answer. And it's always a little bit of here and a little bit of there. But we're going to learn more about Babylon. And we need to take a look at also how Babylon's connected to the beast. So let's continue. The end of verse 6 continues this way. And then it says, When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And then continuing, the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and horns. The beast which you saw once was now, once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life, from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast, because once it was, now it is not, and yet will come. So now we talk about the beast. Now remember, this beast is the beast from chapter 13 that comes out of the sea. It's the beast that the dragon, out of chapter 12 and 13, appoints to gather followers. And what we talked about was that the beast in the day of John's writing was most likely the Roman emperor who's trying to pull the people of God into emperor worship. But what we're seeing is this description of the beast who's trying to trick the people of God to worship him instead. And now we notice this because of the line that John says. He says, the one who was and is not, yet will be. Instead of the way that John describes Jesus multiple times in God in the book of Revelation, the one who was, who is, and is to come. So we see this counterfeit idea of the beast trying to pretend to be God and lead people away. But John continues now to talk about the beast in verse 9. He says, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast was once, or who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is a lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Now we read this and we need to figure out and sift through what it means. I understand that it's very, very complicated. Um, and maybe not complicated, but just like impossible to understand. And, the, the, and what's frustrating for me about this is the angel says, I'm going to explain it, but then I have no idea what it means still whenever you first read it, right? It's okay to admit that. It's okay because this wasn't written to us. But from what we can figure out, uh, 
Remember, the beast has seven heads and ten horns. That's the beast from chapter 13. If you go back and read, that's how the beast is described. It's also described as having a blasphemous name. So that's the beast that's being talked about here. Now, it says that it has seven hills that it sits on. Now, we're pretty positive that this is a reference to Rome. Because Rome has always, and you might remember this from learning about it in, in history, Rome was a city of seven hills because it sat on seven hills. And that was part of Rome's um, identity and part of their claim to being the chosen nation in their time period. But this is a reference to Rome. So the Rome, the beast, and the prostitute are connected. And then it references a king who will return. Now remember I told you that there was a Roman king, Nero, they call him Caesar, who had been killed, but who many Roman people and Christians believed, because there was this rumor and kind of this underground movement, that people believed that Nero would be raised from the dead and return to rule over Rome. So I think that's, where, that's what we think these kings are talking about. And there's different ways of formulating which kings are which based on how you figure things out. But the king who was and is not and yet to come and he will become an eighth king, we think is this idea of Nero. But all of this, remember, is about the beast who pretends to be like God and gain your worship. And Nero is one of the first Roman emperors who tried to get people to worship him. And the Christians of the day were forced with a choice. Do we worship the emperor? Do we worship Jesus? We worship Jesus. We get rejected by our, our families. We get rejected by our community. We get rejected by the trade guild in our city. We're not able to participate. We become poor. We become outsiders. So you have to make your choice. But the beast is trying to get you to worship him. And he's waging war against God. Because remember, the beast is really a stand-in for the dragon. And the dragon is Satan. So Satan uses the Roman Empire, specifically the Roman Emperor, to gain followers with counterfeit worship to follow him and not God. And then where does the prostitute come in? Well, this is what we're told about the prostitute in verse 15. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits... Our peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. Now remember, the prostitute rides the beast. And the prostitute, we're pretty sure, is this idea of, remember, Babylon. So the collective human rebellion against God. And manifest in different empires throughout the world. So in the day of John's writing, that is Rome. Rome is the empire through the beast or their emperor who is pulling people away from the way of God to worship Satan or the way of the world. Remember, this is a behind-the-scenes look at what's really going on in life. And this is how it's being played out. And this is what we're being told from Revelation. Babylon is out there, and Babylon is a collective idea that pulls human powers and structures and authorities to worship the dragon through using power, oppression, propaganda, violence, 
You're in as long as you're in, and if you're not in, we'll kill you. You don't really have a choice. So the prostitute is for the people in John's day, the Roman Empire. And the beast is the emperor trying to get their worship. But what they're all trying to do is pull them away from the way of Jesus to worship Satan. This is the behind the scenes we need to see. This is how Satan does it. He doesn't just do it on an individual level. He does it through working through the very fabric of the systems that we live in. That try to create for us this presentation of a good life that feels good. And it says if we subscribe to this way of life, we will have prosperity and wealth and we will enjoy our life. But what we don't see is the people on the back end who get run over by the system. Because as long as you're a part of the power, you benefit. But if you're not part of the power, you get squashed. This is how empires have always worked. Come, follow us, we're going to take the strongest, and then the rest we're either going to enslave or we're going to kill. That's what they did. And we think that we're more civilized today, and maybe we just do it differently. But I think we still see it. We feel it in our bones. But still, we can't name it. It's Babylon. It's the dragon trying to get us to reject the way of Jesus and the Ten Commandments and the way of life we're called to live in order to worship a counterfeit gospel and follow and give our allegiance to Satan. And that is the behind-the-scenes story. But this is what John tells us about about Babylon. Because remember, this is about Babylon's fall. Verse 15, or 16, I'm sorry. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beasts their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. God says to us, you want to rule yourselves, I will give you authority. But what we don't realize is that our way of life is self-defeating. Because the way of the world defeats itself. We look around, we see it. You know, in the 20th century, 21st, yeah, the turn of the 20th century, there's something called secular humanism. And there is this movement of liberal theology. Now, this is liberal theology proper, not as in what we think of as liberal theology today. But this was a group of theologians who had this grand vision of the world where the gospel could bring social freedom, which I think is a great idea, but they went about it all wrong. And they believed that as humans, we could solve all the problems of the world with our minds and with money and with will. Now that was the start of the 20th century. And then what happens? Here comes Adolf Hitler with the same ideology, but says only some humans are worthy of life and others aren't. So what does he do? He says those are the humans we're going to give power to, and then the rest, well, we don't need them around anymore. This is the 20th century, humans ruling themselves. 
The way of the world defeats itself. And this idea still is out there. This idea of my truth. This is my truth. What's your truth? We can't have our own truth because the way the world defeats itself. That's a lie of Babylon. And really what it is is Satan saying, hey, look, here's a counterfeit truth, a gospel that will give you hope. What you feel is good. Go with it. But the way the world defeats itself. God didn't have to bring destruction. He just let the world live the way they wanted. But he says, I'm going to set up a group of people to be my nation in these broken nations. In Babylon, I'm going to set up an alternative to Babylon. And they're going to be my nation with the Ten Commandments. In the way of Jesus. And they're going to show you how to live a life worth living. To return to the way I asked you to live. Because the way of the world defeats itself. But God has sent up alternative options in the way of Jesus. And if it wasn't clear enough, this is what John says about Babylon in 18. He says, The woman who you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Now in his day, that's Rome. They had kings in their little nation states or where they were at. Just like we read about Herod Antipas and Herod the Great. These other rulers, Pilate. And, and these are all kings, but they only have one king, Caesar. And this is the woman and the prostitute in their day, is Rome. But Rome will defeat herself the way she lives. Because of the way the world defeats itself. Now remember, this is a glimpse behind the scenes. The fall of Satan and the judgment of the world. A lot of the judgment is God just lets go. Early on in chapter 5 or chapter 6, there's this image of God holding back. the. the, He sends angels to hold back the waters from the four corners of the earth. Now that is a picture of God saying, if I let go, the world is going to collapse. The only reason anything is holding on is because I'm holding everything back. And that's still the story today. Because the way the world defeats itself, but God has said, no, I will not let that happen. So we need to know that Babylon is out there and Satan is trying to get our allegiance. We need to steal clear and it might get us in a place that we're uncomfortable but we know that Jesus will bring victory. We need to see the way of the world for what it is. It's rebellion. It's a counterfeit attempt by Satan to pull at our feelings to make us feel good and think that we're on to something good. But the way of the world defeats itself. And that's what John wants us to see. He says, watch out for the prostitute. Watch out for the dragon and the beasts. They're trying to pull you away from what's really true in life. But he says, you know what? The way of the world defeats itself. And he says, instead, follow the way of Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. And you know, when we look at this behind-the-scenes look at life, and we see what's really going on in our hearts and in the world around us, help us to discern ways in which Babylon creeps into our lives. 
May we admit that we as humans are pulled away. So it only makes sense that sometimes the government structures that even in our country where we try our best to model them after a way of life that is giving all people freedom and dignity and respect. That it can still creep up in us. And may we as the people of God, when we see that in our country, name it. And do our best to seek goodness from our governments while we wait for your son's return. But may we always remember that our human governments will be flawed and that we can only put so much trust in them. May we always base our hope in your son and his kingdom. May we strive first to live the way of Jesus. But may we continually hope to make the world we live in a better place in whatever means we're able to do so. And may we continue to always watch for Babylon and the counterfeit gospels that the, the dragon puts out there to try to get us to follow him. And may we be faithful followers of your son. We ask this all in his name, who lives, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.